Hi everybody and welcome to the Mental Toughness and Body Show. My name is Rob Evans and I'm your weight loss coach, health strategist and internationally published author, helping take your life, your business, your health, fitness, mindset and body from where you are right now to where it is that you want to be. And I am so incredibly excited today because I've got an amazing guest with me. It's Natalie Cook. Now, Natalie is a five-time Olympian. She's an Olympic gold medalist and a bronze medalist. She's an award-winning speaker an author, a wellness coach, and a mum. And I tell you, she's one of the most passionate and exciting people that you will ever meet. Nat, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. And uh, the passion clearly reflects back to you too, because uh, you are just as passionate and I'm excited to be on your show. So thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you so much. Now, Nat, as uh, the show suggests, mental toughness and body show. I've got so many questions that I could ask you today. But where I wanted to start was so many of people just like me sitting on the couch at home watching the Olympics and sit there imagining what does it take to be an Olympian in terms of the mindset and the training and everything. And I wonder if you could take us back to the process that you went through to go to that first Olympics and what that took. Yeah, well, Rob, as with anything that is worth chasing in our lives, um, it starts from a very early age. So, And it starts from a little flicker of a flame in your belly um, that I refer to as a dream and a passion and a curiosity. So something um, really has gotten all of us at some point between the ages of five and 10, my research uh, suggests, that we get bitten by a bug that has us dream, desire, get excited about, read about, get curious about. And for me, I was eight years old. I was sitting in front of the 1982 Commonwealth Games in front of the TV in Townsville. I was eight years old, like I said, and I saw Lisa Curry, a swimmer at the time, win the 100 metres freestyle um, in the Commonwealth Games and she yeah, won the gold medal. She got out of the pool, she put a track set on, she had tears streaming down her face and um, singing Advanced Australia Fair. And at eight years old, I said, I wanna do that. Um, wow. And that, that ultimately is where it starts for all of us. We've all had that moment where we've said, I wanna do that. And then of course we go about life. I didn't know how, I was a swimmer at the time, which is why I loved watching yeah. Lisa. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to get there. I go about my daily life as an eight-year-old, uh, going to school, going to swimming training. Um, and then like anything in life, things get in the way, things, hurdles come about, challenges come about, and, and we change the course of our lives, um, sometimes in slow, sliding door moments. And I think the mindset is really the capacity to hold on to the dream mm for your whole life until you achieve it. Yes. Right now, now in my instance, I've been very lucky. There's a great story on Google about my five Olympics and winning gold medals. And however, if I had, hadn't have done that, that dream that was created as an eight-year-old, I could have gone as an Olympic spectator. I could have yeah. gone as an Olympic physiotherapist. I could have gone as an Olympic um, mental coach or a personal trainer. There are so many avenues, but what I find for most people, they let go of that dream too early and too easily. So the yes. mindset is, how do you doggedly hang on to what that little child said they wanted to do? 
Yeah, wonderful. Wow, that's so powerful. So tell me, what age were you when you went to your first Olympics? I was 21 when 21. I went to the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996. Right, okay. And so how many years prior to that do you have to say, obviously from eight you were building it up, but like where you were like, yes, I can make the team. And correct me if I'm wrong, but 96 was the first time that beach volleyball was in? Yes, it was. So as I said, life gets in the way. We moved from Townsville to Brisbane. I didn't like the new swimming pool. The chlorine must have smelt different. I didn't like the new coach. I didn't like the environment of going to school and going back to the pool. So I went on search, um, in search for a new sport. And I tried everything from martial arts to skateboarding to Vigoro. If you don't know what Vigoro is, you should no. look that one up. I would play tennis and basketball and cross country and athletics. And the one sport, actually, if I take it back, there was a notice on the school notice board, the size of an A4 piece of paper that said volleyball trip to Canada and America. Wow. And my, my head went Disneyland, snow, <laughs> mountains, and then volleyball. What's yeah. volleyball? And yeah. that's what started it for me. Um, but volleyball was the only sport that nobody could play. If you remember back to your days of grade eight volleyball, sore arms, hard balls, yeah. um, no one really knew how to play it. The teachers weren't very good at teaching it. And it was the thing that captured my imagination to work out if I can play 55 other sports and I can't play this one. Yeah. I was good at everything I did except this one. I spent the next 30 years trying to master it because it just grasped my mindset and made me want to work out how to be better at volleyball every single day. And by wanting to be better at volleyball, it actually helped me be better at want to be better at life because, you know, we both, we both know, we all know that it's not just about how you do volleyball, it's how you do life. So how we do one thing is how we do everything. So um, I then got into volleyball because of that trip. And in 1993, which was three years prior, I was 18 years old. I was just playing club volleyball. I was getting pretty good at it. Um, beach volleyball was announced as an Olympic sport for the first time in Atlanta. Yes. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right attitude and the right skills where the number one player at the time, her name was Anita Palm. She was sitting in the corner of my volleyball gym here in Brisbane ironically in this in the bottom of the stadium of the 1982 commonwealth games the opening ceremony stadium the athletic stadium was this little volleyball hall where i was playing and she i didn't know who she was she was sitting in the corner watching 150 18 year olds unbeknownst to me looking for her olympic partner uh -huh. and so she must have liked what she saw i think what she did see was my um uh, unrelenting doggedness my attitude my my aggressiveness my assertiveness my power and and just wanting to be the best I could be and she asked me to play for the 1996 Olympic Games and that's really where it started yeah wow wow I, I love that and so tell me after at 96 um what happened there so you competed in 96. I don't know whether there was a ranking system going into the games, whether you, you know, how you expected to perform or it was just the experience or what expectations you'd set on yourself. And then at the end of that, how that then 
went into the 2000 games. Yeah, well, there, there were seeding systems through the international events you played. Um, we were playing in America and the best two countries in the world were Brazil and America. And because we were in America, the rules then were the, the host country got a, an extra spot. So they had three teams. Brazil had two teams. Australia had two teams. And we were seeded probably fifth um, okay. in the event. So uh, we would have been really disappointed without a medal. Um, we probably could have won, but okay. the mindset unraveled, which we can get to a little bit later. The mindset unraveled. Um, we hadn't done enough work to what I call bolster the belief, right. uh, but we did do enough to come away with a bronze medal, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, beautiful. So this is the first medal. We, we came third and we thought that was awesome. A little disappointed because you lose the semi final, but to rebound back and to yeah, pull the mental powerful. state back up to get back on the court was, was a big challenge. And then to win the next day. Um, against America, we beat all three American teams. Wow! Um, and Brazil came first and second. So we 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 did a great job in our first um, Olympics. And then when we came back, we thought, you know what, we've got a chance to win this thing in Sydney four years later in our home Olympics. And so Kerry and I went to work on um, how we could make that happen: setting new goals, which you're know, yeah. part of the mindset. Write the goals down set new goals, make sure they're lofty, make sure they're stretch. Um, and our, our 1997 year was really bad. Okay. Terry uh, and I did not do very good. We fought, uh, we blamed each other. Okay. Um, we went into a, a really quite a bad space and we split up. So right. that's how it went, Rob, after. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it really... The mindset and the mental game is really more important in my eyes, especially when you're playing once every four years yeah. uh, than the physical game. It, it really does require, um, I, I've recently actually likened it to building sandcastles. Okay. Right? So if you imagine a sandcastle, when you go to the beach with your kids, I now have a yeah. five-year-old daughter and you teach them how to build sandcastles, you actually have to reinforce the sandcastle you have to get wet sand you have to get dry yes. sand you have to get more wet sand you have to build a wall you have to build a moat to protect yes. it you you gotta uh, maybe get shells and sticks and put a stick and a flag on the top to celebrate that's exactly like building a mindset it takes reinforcing and it doesn't always go to plan yeah so tell me then after what's the process you go through from Obviously, there's so much work and so much build up to that moment. Then you've stood on the dais, you've got your bronze medal, and there must be a degree of disappointment that it's not a different colour and you're not standing a little bit higher. Um, but the elation of, wow, look at what we've achieved. And then a sense of, I really need to rest now because of what's happened. So, how do you, well, what's that timeline between, you know, you finish celebrate and okay let's get to work for four years time yeah it is a real mixed bag of emotions and sometimes um you know for me personally i dismissed a lot of the 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 maybe falling off the cliff or the the drop or the dip um i didn't think that would happen and and of course for some people it happens really quick for me it probably took six months right. after that olympics where i'm like oh this is a bit depressing. I've got to wait another three and a half years and, 
and the crowd stopped cheering and yeah. and the free stuff stopped coming and um <laughs> you know you've got to go back to the hard daily grind right so yeah. so it really is about uh, a great solid plan and sometimes you need other eyes on it so we needed a coach we needed a strength coach we needed a success coach a mental coach to really cast eyes on how to peak and periodize a training set yeah. um, for, for three and a half years. So yeah. you can become complacent and say, oh, it's a long way away. But of course, every year we would have competitions. We would have a yearly structure that would fit into a four-year cycle. We would then have um, seasonal uh, structures, which would be pre-season, uh, the season and post-season. So generally three seasons in which people call terms at university yeah. in the year and within those seasons you then break them down to weeks days hours through recovery through intensity loads you know as as you know when you're building the body um and you're a perfect example of what we've witnessed over the last 12 months of how you've actually layer upon layer started to build your body and you do it every day with your clients it's amazing but when the complacency and the challenge is when you say, oh, I got four years, I can wait. Yes. That's where you get in trouble. It really does take daily continuous improvement. Mm. And improvement doesn't always mean going up because sometimes you've got to come down the ladder. Yep. You've got to hold on to the ladder where the weather's bad, wait for the storm to clear before you can climb again. But it really is a, a systemized plan that is going to have, and then, be ready for the plan to always go pear-shaped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so tell me then, um, so 97, you said that was a bad year and you and Kerry went your, your separate ways. And I assume that you obviously kept playing, but you found new partners and, and, and went on that path. So what was that process uh, then to then obviously come back together and what was like your thought processes in, well, actually, no, we need to give this another go or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, well, even when we split up, ultimately the purpose uh, remained the same. And most Olympic mm. athletes will tell you that they want to win, right? Mm. So ultimately, Kerry and I's drive was to win. Whether we were going to do that together or apart, we still had this unrelenting goal to win the Olympic gold medal. So we would play against each other. We would look at each other through the net. We would um, snarl and glare and um, <laughs> high five. Yeah, exactly. Trying to, you know, psych each other out and um, energetically punch each other in the face because that never happened, you know, physically. But yeah. And so we were very close to each other all the time and we would watch each other. Um, she watched me grow. I went through a series of um, personal development growth, which I'm a big believer in. Mm firewalking, glass walking, uh, a course called Land, the Landmark Forum. I did all of this personal development because in the semi-final in Atlanta, the thing that let me down was the six inches between my ears and I could see it right in front of my eyes. I could feel it happening to me. I went through the negative um, tornado of, I can't do this. Yeah. this uh, I'm not good enough. I'm too overweight, the other team's better, this, this whole um, diatribe of thought process that over the next period of 1997 to 1999, a year and a half, 
I found a success coach called Purik Ashley to help me bolster my belief and yeah. bolster my positivity and my self-talk and my posture, my language. The most important um, language to, is talk, how you talk to yourself. So yeah. often we talk to ourselves in the least favorable way. Yeah. Uh, we, we can find ways to talk to other people nicely, yeah. but we, we talk to ourselves poorly. So I went on a journey of all of that. So Kerry was watching, I was getting stronger. Kerry then decided that um, we'd be better off together than fighting each other across the net. Yeah. And uh, through a series of, um, you know, the stars aligning, some of our partners got injured and it was a bit like, you know, we, we kind yeah, of fate has forced us back together. Yeah, right. So how far out was it from 2000 was that? About a year, just over a year, a year and a bit. Okay. And so then when you came back together, was it just like, wow, this is all, uh, you know, like meshing in so perfectly and you're just continuing on from strength to strength or? Absolutely. It was just yeah. like riding a bike and we could feel the momentum. Um, we knew it was the right decision. We could feel the momentum coming. Uh, we did lots of uh, business planning, uh, Olympic planning. We went yeah. on a three-day camp to Stradbroke Island. We took our three coaches with us. We really got our values and our principles and our guiding questions right so that so that you get rid of a thing called decision fatigue so that every day you don't have to wake up asking for a commitment. You commit, you commit at the beginning and then there is no wavering. Yeah. Right? So the challenge I see today is people don't want to commit and then every day they wake up exhausted because they're having to recommit daily. Yes. Um, our recommitment daily was in our actions and our training and our support and our um, showing up for each other and why we were doing it. You know, that whole why piece with Simon Sinek and really understanding when you're sore and you're tired and you want to have a, have a rest is understanding why. And, and the Olympic gold medal is a pretty big draw card. You, you've articulated that so beautifully in, in such a short period of time, but I know that um, because I've seen uh, you and Kerry um, present this, uh, you know, your one-page document with the Olympic rings and uh, your goals and all your coaches signed off on it. How important was that process? And because it wouldn't have been, okay, let's just write this down, you've done it in 15 minutes. It would have taken a long time to come up with it. But how important was that in you know, really hitting you in here and driving you each day to success? Yeah, we lived our whole life by it. So once we got that piece of paper, um, and ironically, I have it with me always um, <laughs> as an empty one for people, right? So yeah. this is the empty one. So it's called Gold Medal Excellence. It's the Olympic rings. Your what, why, how, who, and what if. And we filled in each ring mm. with a, quite an extensive list of um, processes to follow our winning way that we went through. We would put them all up on a whiteboard I would give my opinion. Steve would get Steve, our volleyball coach, would get, give his. Kerry Turek was our success coach, and Phil was our our trainer. And we would go through and cross them off. Does this one count for all of us? And if all of us weren't convinced, it would get off. Yeah. And and if one person wasn't convinced, the rest of us had to try and convince them, or it would be scratched out. Yeah. So we just narrowed it down to something we could all buy in and all believe in, and that's why the signature was so important. Yes. Um, and so that one-page plan went everywhere, behind toilet doors, in our diaries, at the mm -hmm. kitchen, travelled in our suitcase. 
a little bit like osmosis, right? The more you see things, you don't even have to stand there and read it. You just have to absorb it through the rings. It's yeah. a pretty, pretty, pretty special moment. And I, one of the other things that you did, which uh, I have now taken on board myself, uh, is to surround yourself with gold. Um, so I heard Kerry and you talk about this with, um, I don't know whether it was just in the, the room you were sharing at the Olympic Village or whether it was a, a period of time where just everywhere you went, you did this, but you, you know, you just surround yourself with gold. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I did notice, Rob, your gold tie. I'm very impressed. Yeah, yes, um, of course. And, and absolutely, it was a, a moment of immersing ourselves in gold, not just in the village. That's where it came to life, uh, where people got to see it. But I um, slept in gold sheets. I drove a gold car. I had a gold toaster, gold sunglasses, gold watch, um, gold toothbrush. I even washed in palm olive gold soap, yeah. <laughs> right? So it, it was everywhere. And yeah. if it wasn't gold, we painted it gold. And again, it goes back to you just having it around you yeah. um, seems to absorb into your body like yeah. the process we know as osmosis. So when you sleep on a gold pillowcase, it's like the brain just starts to flood gold. And what happens is it then wants to go to work on processing how to achieve it, right? Yeah. So that's the step that's important too. You've got to do the daily do. You've got to reflect. You've got to have your plan. You've got to do it. You've got to reflect on it. You've got to readjust the plan and you've got to stay focused on that mouth-watering, exciting, like keep you awake at night goal, which yeah. was the Olympic gold medal, right? And then one day that <laughs> thing, which is really shiny, can show up. Now, yeah. I have had people say to me, well, what happened if you didn't win gold and you got silver? Well, I would have painted it gold. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not about that 45 minutes or hour and a half of the game that it's about that four year journey that was gold yeah. for us. So I literally would have done that. Now, history says that we won it fair and square. And, yeah. um, and so all that process uh, worked perfectly for us and I've seen it work for you too Rob so there you yeah. go yes uh, absolutely um, it's really hard to find gold toothpaste but I found it <laughs> and gold towels they're really hard to come by but I found those too um, but even on that that's great because on that it's the the thrill of the hunt for it that's right, right. so so you get compelled and you get um, engaged and friends and family would too. They would buy gold stuff. So anything yeah. they found that was gold, they'd buy it and give it to yeah. me. So it does just orientate the brain to a new way to go on a search or a hunt, um, unrelenting for the goal that you have fostered within yourself. It is the most amazing process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well said. Uh just got a couple more questions for you. I wanted to um, dig into the, maybe you can timeline it a bit for us, the 24 hours before your gold medal match. Now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but going into Sydney, you were ranked third. Is that right? Yeah, we were officially third. No, unofficially third, which is what our ranking suggests, but we were given number one seed because we were the host. So there are always some of these funny rules, which actually made some of the teams really mad 
Yeah. <laughs> um, now, ironically, it didn't really adjust much. We moved from three up to one and, and this, we would have been playing similar teams. Right. Um, so, so yeah, if we go to the 24 hours before, um, you, you know, like everything, there's not a simple, easy story, but we had to move our accommodation. We oh. were staying at Randwick in an adult nunnery, like the Catholic nunnery <laughs> with nuns. Yes. Um, because the Olympic Village at Homebush was too far away. So they put us at Randwick, which was a 10 minute bus ride to Bondi. And then nobody thought in the organizing committee we were gonna win because the day of our gold medal match was also the day of the road race, which meant uh -huh. they had to close roads. Yes. And we couldn't get from our nunnery to Bondi. Okay. So we had to transform our bedroom gold included, everything included to the Bondi back then was the Swiss Grand Hotel. Okay. So Kerry and I entered a hotel room for the last 24 hours. And all I remember is laying in bed um, the night before the gold medal match, September 24th, 2000, unable to sleep, clearly with new surroundings and you're showing up for an Olympic gold medal the next day. But but making up my gold medal speech. Yeah, so right. who was I gonna thank? Um, how was I gonna address the, the crowd? You know, making sure I didn't forget anyone from referees to lines judges to, you know, sponsors to doctors to family in the crowd. And, and unbeknownst to me, Kerry was laying in the bed next to me because I'm hoping she's sleeping, yeah. but she's not, she's doing the same thing. Yeah. And we'd never ever talked about it and generally you don't ever get a microphone after you win a gold medal. They just aren't that close. Yes. Um, but we had known the commentator, John Fogarty, and John came out and I ended up, he sort of put the microphone at my mouth and I ended up taking it off him, which was a mistake for him. He got in trouble <laughs> uh, because I went to speak for the next five minutes and thank everyone. I, and I got everyone. I remembered yeah. everyone. So is that because you were just so confident going in because of all the work you'd done over the previous four years that, that this goal was, was ours? Well, yes and no, right? Because the team we were playing was much better on paper. They'd beaten us 17 times and we'd only beaten them once. So in theory, they should have won. But we had built so much in the rest of our team outside of a technical strategical game plan to be able to weather the storm, to be able to stand tall when it wasn't going well, to be able to find cracks in their armor that they didn't even know they had that an Olympics produces because this is our first Olympics. Yes. So we had this very, um, holistic game plan that most people even today wouldn't have that encompassed how they might be feeling at certain times of the match yes. how much pressure is on their shoulders as a brazilian team with their expectation to win so we had a lot of that going on as well and part of designing the speech was imagine usain bolt crossing the finish line 100 meter race um he's actually trying to race 110 meters and he's, mm. we're taught to run through the finish line. Yeah. So part of that, making sure my confidence didn't get speed wobbles and falter was to 
think if I was thinking about the match and everything that could go on in the match, I might have started to doubt or lose confidence or start to ask what if that shot doesn't work. But in in thinking about the gold medal speech implies we win. Yes. It implies that we do everything we're supposed to do that we've been doing for not only four years, but the four years before that. So it implies we're going to come up with a strategy. It implies we're going to weather the storm. It implies we're going to hold the posture. So it's almost like running that 110 meter race for a hundred meters. So that it's not that I didn't have doubt. It's just that I was bolstering and reinforcing the last runway, you know, like climbing Everest with oxygen on. I was making sure my oxygen tank was full. I was making sure the equipment was right. I was making sure I was going to celebrate and put the flag in the top of the sandcastle. Because if I'd have thought about oxygen running out, game plans going wrong, the opposition being better than us, beating us 17 times, I would have absolutely imploded. And did at any point in the, like this, the tough stages, because you were behind a little bit before you then came ahead, did you go back to 1996 and that mindset? <laughs> I did, but in the semi-final, not in the final. But right. the, the semi-final was that match we lost four years earlier. Right. And I absolutely... Two days prior, I felt it coming um, that we we lost the first three points unanswered. That means they were aces. They didn't yeah. touch us. And one of the girls on the other team was one of the girls that had beaten us and they had split up. So I saw straight across at her and, and I looked up to the sky. We called a timeout. I came back. I looked up to the sky. I looked across at her and I said, you're not doing that today. And then I don't remember anything else other than winning 15-6 after being 3-0 down. So wow. we we just uh, making a bit of a declaration. It's sort of putting your foot down or putting your stake in the sand and um, mm. doing whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. It's, it's so intriguing. I can listen to you for hours. Um, two, two final questions for you. Um, the... Two moments I'd just like you to reflect on. There's this beautiful photo um, that that I have. Well, there's two actually, but the first one is you and Kerry hugging on the sand, on your knees in the sand. So you know you've just you've just won. Tell me what that is like. That emotion that floods you. Is it relief? Is it joy? Is it what a combination of everything? Yeah, well, as, as I stand here talking to you now, it, it's like goosebumps going up my legs and then down my back because it is every single emotion on the spectrum and, and I'm tearing now because it, it the joy, the relief, yeah. instantly the relief because you hold this um, armour or this character and I use superheroes a lot and, and I and I hold it, held a superhero posture pose, mindset, like Superman would never, ever, ever let Lois Lane go missing or die, right? Mm. So that was it for me. I would never, ever, ever let the ball hit the ground without giving a Superman effort. Yeah. Um, Doesn't mean the ball didn't hit the ground. Now that is key because people sometimes think, oh, well, when it doesn't work, it mustn't work for for them or or themselves. It's not true. The ball still hit the ground, but I gave superhero effort. Mm. And so 
that moment when it all worked and the dream came true and the fairy tale not ended but just began but that moment was pivotal it was just us embracing for all of our team our family and our friends of what the 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 hard work people say sacrifice i mean you absolutely have to sacrifice things but it didn't feel in a negative way there was a sacrifice yeah and an explosion of uh, like literally an explosion like a firecracker of we've done this. I probably had expletives in there, Rob, but I shouldn't do that on, on your show. So all of that, and we only use expletives to um, be adjectives, right? To accentuate the intensity of the moment. Yeah. And, and that's what it was. It was, we've done this. Our plan came true. There can't be a better moment in life. And yeah. to me, I've never experienced another moment other than that except yeah. for when my daughter was born yes um so yeah very very special as you're explaining it i've got goosebumps coming up my my legs as well the other moment was then because obviously you've had some time and how many minutes or hours passed until the medal ceremony but um standing on the gold podium singing the national anthem what what are you feeling in that moment because you've got pretty much everyone in the stands as a as a, an Australian singing it with you. Yeah, and I'm glad you said singing because I was probably just yelling because <laughs> I don't know that I'm a good singer, but I'll take the... I, I One of the things I laugh at Kerry about and, and make jokes is in Atlanta, we, she didn't know the words to Advance okay. Australia Fair. So I I would, you know, we talked about blaming. I blamed her <laughs> that she didn't, wasn't fully prepared. So... Yes. We had Advance Australia Fair behind the toilet door as well. And Kerry would sing it in the village to make sure she was ready. So yeah. I, I learned it at school and I wondered, you know, if there's one reason why you learn Advance Australia Fair, it's so that when you win an Olympic gold medal, you're ready. And the, the, just the pride and the, the heart bursting out of our chest and not only for us, but for the whole crowd at Bondi, everybody watching on TV, all the people that were at, you know, Darling Harbour and Sydney Opera House yeah. watching it, and the whole a little a little girl or a little boy watching that was gonna go on to achieve their Olympic dream, whatever that yeah. looked like. Yeah. Um, and now what gives me more goosebumps is Taliqua Clancy, our current Indigenous best beach volleyballer in the world, is playing beach volleyball because of that moment. Yeah. So wow. That's. That's what excites me about the opportunity coming for Queensland and the 2032 Olympics. And a lot of the Olympians you see today um, getting ready for Tokyo 2020, which of course now happens in 2021 with, uh, with COVID, but they were uh, little kids in 2000. Yeah. They were inspired by um, the Sydney Olympics and other Olympics and hopefully another home Olympics in 2032 can just set up Australia for another 20 years. So yeah, very exciting. I, I guess on your journey, you probably uh, at no point really considered just the impact that you would have on inspiring people, um, you know, around, around the world, but um, certainly the impact that you've had on me, um, both you, Kerry and Shani as well. Um, uh, I have your photo. I don't know if this is giving too much information, but I have the photo of uh, you and Kerry standing on the podium um, upstairs on my um, my ensuite window uh, mirror. 
Um, I've got a photo with you and Kerry and Shani on my window. And uh, like the amount of inspiration that you guys gave me over this last 12 months. Now I'm not going for an Olympics, but I guess it's my own version of an Olympics for me. Um, and like just really, really powerful. Mm. And I think whenever you're you're in a room and you're talking, you just have such a such a presence and such a um, you know a positive impact on inspiring people to not just in sport but just with life in general. Well, I'm honoured, Robin, and I had when I was um, going for my journey, I had all of my heroes on my ceiling actually. So I would lay in bed at night and look up uh, when I first started playing volleyball as well at all my American heroes because they were the ones that that uh, produced a magazine, a volleyball yeah. magazine. And yeah. then what I would do is I'd take them off the, the ceiling one at a time as I beat them. So lucky we don't <laughs> have to compete, Rob. You can keep me on your mirror the whole time. Yes. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And now uh, uh, the same, you've gone on through, you know, your gold medal moments, having your photo shoot, producing a before and after photo, like that was so amazing. You will be inspiring people all over the world with your journey too. and and not only the journey you've been on, but the journey you continue to go on. So yeah, high well, five to you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Well, I think 2020 was my 96 Atlanta because this year is going to be better. Awesome. Than, than, uh, than last year. Um, actually, I did have one final question. That uh, When you got to that, making that decision to retire, is that an easy decision to make? You just say, well, look, the body's just not going to hold up anymore. I'm ready to go like how how easy is that decision well it was for me because i'd been to five olympics i'd i'd won two medals i'd won world championship medals i'd had three olympic partners i'd built a speaking career on the side i built a beach volleyball business i was kind of ready i probably outstayed my welcome one olympics i probably okay. felt like i had to push too hard to get to that one but um I'd committed to myself and my volleyball partner, so I so I continued through. Uh, we whilst we didn't get a result, I personally hold that fifth Olympics and the qualification process very dear to my heart as one of my top three behind my medals. Um, yeah, nice. So it it really I was ready, uh, and I and like I said, I'd built a life that was ready for retirement. A lot of athletes don't. Yeah. And so now part of my um, journey is to try and help yeah. them build a pathway so that the drop isn't as much as, as it, you know, it is. To go from being an Olympian, standing on top of the podium as number one in the world, to an apprenticeship or an internship or, you know, it's pretty tough. But, but we're yeah. hopeful we can build those opportunities for our next generation. Yeah, and I think you've... Um you've done such a beautiful job in being able to, you know, go to that next level because you do see so many Olympians that they, they don't harness, whether it's they don't have the right people around them or whatever, but you're doing such a great job, which is a great lead up into the, the final thing that I wanted to say. And just obviously thank you so much for today. I think people have taken away so much value here today and it's very rare for us to be able to get a, like such a clear insight into the thinking of uh, an Olympian and uh, you know a gold medalist at that and so you've given us so much value today so i thank you for that um i know that you've got you've got your own website your own podcast books and everything if and your own program so did you want to talk a little bit about how if people want to get in touch with you and get involved with your program or have you at a speaking gig or something like that how they can do that 
Yeah, well, the easiest way is nataliecook.com. That's simple. Everything's on there. All my podcasts, my book, volleyballs. Um, you can find me for speaking on there too. Uh, but generally sign up to the newsletter. And, and uh, if you like what you've heard today, then there might be some insights along the way. Um, and so we can stay connected. I'd love to have you in my tribe as well as Rob's. And, um, you know, together with the, we are the sum of the five people we hang out with the most. And that doesn't mean physically. That just can mean energetically through books, through newsletters, through podcasts. So if I'm one of those people for you, then uh, let's go. Happy days. And, and absolutely, I'm, I know that you've already said this, but there is no way that you would have won a gold medal without the team around you. you just, absolutely. You no, it, it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village to raise an Olympian and to produce the results. It actually takes a village to achieve a dream. So whatever the dream is for you, you need a village. Please don't ever try and do it alone. I would never, ever go to the Olympics without a coach. So why would I go through life, which is actually bigger than the Olympics, without a coach or a trainer? Um, and, and so it's really important that you have the support people to your left and to your right and to your front and to your back uh, that can be there through the good and the bad times. So if they leave when it's bad, they're not the right teammate for yeah. you. they got to be there through the good and the bad. Beautifully said, Nat. Thank you so much for today. And um, I can't wait until we talk again. Thanks for having me, Rob. Awesome. All right.